the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to engage in the Word of God. And what I want to do is, is I want to uh, shift directions. I want to take a different direction today. Um, I want to take a quick little pause as we're shifting into a new season as a church. If anybody knows, we're launching, uh, we've launched a, a, um, a program called Alpha, where we're coming together to engage in fruitful conversations, creating safe places for people to talk about life and to talk about faith and to talk about some of those difficult questions that we're wrestling with and just to create those safe spaces in order for us to do that. So I just want to kind of give us a framework, a, a frame of reference, a vantage point, if you will, to this new season that we're engaging in as a church as we're ramping up to really reach the lost. This year, our focus is on prayer and evangelism. That's been our focus. We're going to pray because prayer is a substratum of our ministry. Prayer is the foundation by which everything stands. And then we're going to engage in evangelism because we believe that he has called us all to go ye therefore and to make disciples. If you would allow me just a minute before I even get into the word, is when you hear that verse, as it's iterated in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, when he says, go ye therefore and make disciples, Okay? He wasn't talking about the, 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 the spiritual specialists. Okay? He wasn't talking about the pastors. He wasn't simply talking about the apostles. He wasn't talking about the evangelists. He wasn't talking about the teachers of the scripture. He was talking about every believer. Every believer is called to go and to make disciples. We are all called to do that. Every one of us. Okay? The priesthood is not for a select group of super saint Christians. Okay? The priesthood is not for a select group of elite, you know, higher level Christians. Okay? We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 4, it speaks about the people he has set aside, that he has called apostles, and, and he does call prophets, and he, he does call evangelists, and he, and he calls pastors, and he calls teachers. But he calls these for a distinct purpose, not to do the work of ministry, but he calls them to equip those who will do the work of ministry. That is, that it's the saints that do the work of ministry. Every believer in the church of God is a minister. we got to stop with this distinction that we make, where we give certain people the ministerial titles. We are the royal priesthood, as it's, as it's iterated in 2 Peter. We are the royal priesthood. Sorry, in 1 Peter. We're the royal priesthood. We are the people that have been called to go and to do the work of ministry. I want you to put it, I want you to tag somebody else in the chat right now. And I want you to tell them, you are a minister. Tag them. Tell them, you are a minister. You don't need an ordination certificate. You don't need a college degree. You don't need a seminary degree. What makes you a minister is your faith in Jesus Christ. We are all called to do the work of ministry in our spheres of influence. Everywhere that we go, we're to bring the gospel with us. Discipleship is not an option for the believer. It's not something that we leave to some people to do. It's something that we all engage collaboratively and individually to do. We are all called to make disciples. And that's our heart here at The Font. I get this question often uh, from people. They go, why do you call this church The Font? Like, why is it The Font? What's The Font? What does The Font mean? Like, what do you mean by The Font? Are you talking about Helvetica? Are you talking about Times New Roman? Like, what are you talking about? Are you talking about Ariel? Like, is it a, a typeset? What do you mean by The Font? And why are you guys called The Font? The Font literally means spiritual fountain. It's literally what it means. It means spiritual fountain. And our heart here at the font is that we, as the font, are called to equip you to do what you were called to do, 
which is to make disciples. We believe that every believer, every person who's filled with the Holy Spirit is a spiritual fountain called to bring faith, hope, and love in their spheres of influence. And so for that reason, for us, what we do at the font is we just equip you, we resource you, we help you, we send you out. We're not a keeping church, we're a sending church. We're here to send people who will go and make disciples. So if you want to partner with us, you want to engage with us, you're learning more about our ministry, maybe you've been here for a few weeks and you're wondering, what is this all about? This is the whole purpose of this time that we're spending together today, is to engage and for you to understand where our heart is and what our vision is. And it only makes sense to go to John chapter 4, because that's where we got the name of the ministry in the first place. So if you can, turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. And I want to, I would love to read this whole, this whole chapter. I won't, but I do want to read the first section of this chapter. And I want you to pay, pay, pay very close attention. And I want you to prayerfully read through this scripture as I read through it. I've got nothing prepared specifically, but more so I want to speak into the heart and into the spirit of our church so that you understand the reason by which we do what we do and why we function the way we function, why we run things the way that we run them and what we're really focused on, what the W's are for our church. Um, I, I want you to understand that because sometimes people see this and they come online, they see it looks like a cool thing, but they don't fully understand what it is that we're doing here. And today I wanna, I wanna really provide a biblical framework a story that many of you are familiar with, which is the Samaritan woman. And I want you to see this story because in this story, you're going to see the heart of our church. You're going to see the heart of our ministry. So please engage with me in John chapter 4. And I'm going to read, let's just start from verse 1 and then we'll see where the Spirit leads. Okay, John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 1. It says this, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, and this is where we get the name of our church. It's, this is the, the key verse here. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst 
nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Ooh, we're getting there. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And in verse 30, it says, Then they went out of the city and came to him. Whew. I feel this thing stirring up already in me. And they went out into the city and came to him. Father, speak to us in this time. Encourage us as we engage in your word. In this moment, Father, bless us, Lord God, that we may hear your heart, your will, that it will be revealed to us, Lord, conform us to your will, Father, as we engage in your word. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Um, the most popular sections of the Bible to read are, you know, you've got the poetic sections, right, where you see Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We, you know, Christians tend to love to read that section. And, of course, you've got um, the, the, the pastoral epistles, which is another popular section. But I, I find that the most popular of sections to read in the Bible, at least among Christians, is the Gospels. Right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're, they're the first four books that we find in the New Testament. And it only makes sense because the Gospels chronicle and they recount the, the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. It would only make sense since Jesus is the center of all things that we would spend a lot of time in the life and in the history, at least the historicity, of Jesus Christ. But the book of John is unique from the other four. The first three are what we call the synoptic Gospels, sync, optic, they see the same thing. They're very similar in the way that they approach. There's a, there's a least common denominator among them, that is, that they emphasize what we would describe as um, an ascending Christology, 
Uh, when we say an ascending Christology, we're talking about a Christological perspective that sees a Jesus on the earth that then ascends into glory, into heaven. We see this because when it opens up, it generally opens up, as in Mark, with the ministry of Jesus Christ, or in, in Matthew and Luke, when it opens up with Christ being born, right? Um, and, and so it starts with Jesus down here, and then it ends with Jesus up here. This is why they call it an, an ascending Christology. The book of John is different, though, because the book of John uh, gives what we call a descending Christological perspective. That is, the book of John shows us a Christ who begins up here and ends down here. Mm -hmm. uh, he starts from glory, and then he comes down to humanity. He starts from up top, and then he comes down to corporeality. You see, the, the, the book of John opens up with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So now we see this, this the, the similarity in the diction, in the language. In the beginning was the Logos. What do we see there? We see that in Genesis chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So, so we see a similarity there in diction and in language that what John wants to do is, unlike the other books, John wants to emphasize uh, um, the, the, the pre-existence, the preeminence of Christ. He wants to emphasize that Jesus Christ had always existed from the beginning and that Jesus Christ himself had participated in creation. Um, he, he was there before all things, and, and it's through him that all things exist, and it's by his word that everything is held together. Now pay attention, because what he does in that first chapter is that he goes from up high, and then even in the first chapter, we see this now manifest, when later on down in the text, it says that the word became flesh, and that the word dwelt among us. That is now this, this, this logos now became flesh and dwelt among us, meaning he went from corporate, he went from, from divinity and now he rests among humanity. And the scriptures tell us that we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten full of grace and truth. So now we're beginning to see that this God who existed above all things, when the scripture tells us that his ways are above our ways and, and his thoughts are above our thoughts, when the scriptures tell us about who he is as a person in the preeminent of Christ. We see this in Colossians chapter 1 when it speaks about the preeminence of him, that he is above all things and before all things and all things exist to glorify him, that this thing, this entity, this person, this being, this power, this sovereign entity that is above all things and more powerful than all things decided to descend into this earth to take upon this microcosmic reality that is humanity. This is incredible, family, because now we're beginning to see that the love of God now is manifest through a God who was above, infinitely above us, but decided to dwell among us. How much confidence can we have about the love of God, that God would exist above all things and then come into our present reality? And yet, this is what John is bringing emphasis to, a God who existed in divinity, but then entered into humanity so that he can restore all things and all people and that he can restore his creation. It speaks to the importance of who we are to God, that God doesn't look at us as simply roaches or simply uh, dogs or simply birds, but God felt that he had to come and take upon our form because we were created in his image and in his likeness. God cares very much about his children. It speaks into his rescue plan, that part of his rescue plan or, or central to his rescue plan is him taking on divinity to come and exist and to dwell among us. You see, this is the part that I want to emphasize on that the work, the, 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 the restorative work of Christ 
was one that was communal in nature. Ooh, let me emphasize that one more time. That the restorative work of Jesus Christ was communal in nature. It wasn't authoritative as we would look at it. It wasn't God declaring and decreeing, but it was a God dwelling. He dwelled, he dwelled, he dwelled. That is that the restoring of humanity, the healing of humanity was in the dwelling with humanity. Oh, pay attention, family. Because we see now the work that God is doing, he could say a word, but no, he chose to dwell. Because the manifestation of the, of the divine work, the restorative work, the redemptive work of Christ was one in which God was attempting in all his power to restore mankind to himself. God wanted to dwell among us. He wanted to be in relationship with us. And so if he's going to save us, he's going to enter in with us. We don't serve a God who, who, who rests above our sin, but the scriptures tell us that he who knew no sin became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. God came into our reality. He came into our mess. I came to talk to somebody today who's dealing with some mess and they're wondering where is God at? God says he never leaves you nor does he forsake you. He is Emmanuel as the scriptures have iterated that he is God who is with us. God dwells among us. He's not a God who's simply above us. He's not a God who looks down on us. He's not a God who just looks to the side. He's not a God who does not participate, but he intimately participates with us. He is within us. This God who restores all things is a God who dwells with us. He, he's a friend. He wants to dwell with you. And we see this manifest in this scripture. When we read the scripture, we see a woman. <laughs> the scriptures tell us about a woman, a Samaritan woman. This woman, if you would just allow me just a few minutes, this woman is a, is a pariah. Uh -huh. uh, she's a woman who you can tell she's a pariah because she's going to draw water at an inopportune time. Uh, she's a pariah because, you see, she has, as we notice in the text, she's got some issues with relationships. She's got some issues with marriages. She's got some issues. And, and you can tell that those things that are going on have caused her to be separate from everyone else. You see, that's the thing that sin does. We find ourselves in, in situations like this woman who is a Samaritan woman, this pariah. We find that what sin does is sin separates us from people and it separates us from God. Sin has a way of isolating us and making us go at inopportune times to draw from things that we need. But that's not the whole point of the word today. What I want to speak into more specifically is this encounter that this woman has with Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is divine. Jesus, who exists above all things. Jesus, who was preeminent. Jesus, who was the creator of the universe who empties himself, as Philippians chapter 2 tells us, who empties himself and makes himself of no reputation, empties himself, and now we find Jesus having an, a divine encounter with a rejected woman. This woman is a pariah, but she's a pariah among pariahs. The Samaritans were rejected people, and she, being a rejected woman among a rejected people, finds herself here in an encounter with Jesus Christ. And we, we, we know the scripture, we know, because we just read it just now, that in the first verse, it tells us that Jesus felt it necessary for him to go through Samaria, that he would meet this woman. This was an intended appointment that Jesus knew and the woman did not. But I'm not going there. Where I want to go, and pay very close attention, family, 
is this Samaritan woman, this broken woman, this woman who's been rejected, this woman who cannot find love, this woman who's been separate from anything, this woman, as you can tell, just by her diction, just by her language, she is jaded, she is tired, she is frustrated, and she is hurt and broken. And this woman now has this encounter with Jesus Christ. She doesn't know who Jesus is. But we notice that in the midst of this encounter, God coming to meet her and dwelling with her, in the midst of this encounter, this woman, this woman has a progression in her awareness of who Jesus is. Case in point, when Jesus first encounters her, Jesus asks her, give me a drink. This woman goes from saying that he's a Hebrew man to then progressing to being coming sir. Then he goes from being, sir, we just read it through, to now, I perceive that you are a prophet. And at the end of the conversation, she discovers that he is the Messiah. Jesus, who knows all things. Jesus, who is all-powerful. Jesus, who is omnipotent. Jesus, who exists above all things. Jesus, who's got all the answers, didn't come to her with an answer. <laughs> Jesus came to her with a request. Because what Jesus was looking for is not to give her more information. Jesus wanted her to discover the person of who he is. He wanted her to see his heart. This is what Jesus was all about. This is what Jesus intended. <laughs> and so Jesus now meets this woman, and rather than giving her the answers, rather than prophesying to her, rather than giving her theology, rather than giving her diction, rather than giving her what he knows, rather than giving her revelation, rather than all of that, Jesus asks her for a drink. She then engages in conversation. And through that conversation, she discovers that Jesus is not just a Hebrew man, but now has progressed in her understanding to know that now this man is the Messiah. Oh, and when she encounters him, and when she gets to know him, and when she meets him, yeah, she was jaded, yeah, she was broken, but something switched because something switches in us when we get to know who Jesus is. It's not about how much theology we know. It's not about how much doctrine we know. It's not. It's about when we actually encounter him and we get to know the person of who he is. That's when something switches in us. And there's some of us today that are looking for more information. There's some of us today that are looking for the right theology. There's some of us today that believe that if I get more information and more understanding and more whatever it is, if you can give me all the archaeological evidence and if you can give me all these things, then I will know and then I'll discover and then my life will be changed. But you won't be changed by the quality of your information, you will be changed by the profound experience that you have with Jesus Christ. She met Jesus. But watch this. Watch this. This Jesus. In verse, in chapter 4, and we just read it. At the end in verse 27, she has this encounter with Jesus. Jesus reveals to her one of the few people that Jesus actually iterates that he is the Messiah, reveals to her who he is. 
And the scriptures tell us right here, it says to us at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that, that he talked with a woman. Watch this. They see the prophet. They see the rabbi. They see the teacher. They know who he is. They know that he's a Jewish man and Jewish men don't spend time talking to Samaritans, let alone Samaritan woman, let alone Samaritan woman. And yet here he is talking to a Samaritan woman. This woman is being transformed. And yet the disciples look and they say, mm, I don't know why Jesus is having a conversation with her. This is a side note for some people. There's some people, when you develop your relationship with Jesus Christ, religious folks are going to think that you don't deserve it. There's going to be religious folks who are going to look at you and they're going to say to you, I don't know why this person is talking to Jesus. I don't know why this person has a relationship with Jesus, but get this, that your relationship with Jesus is not based off of the quality of your life. It's not based off of your perception. It's not based off of their perception. It's not based off of reputation. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is based off of your experience with him. Stop looking at people to be qualified to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Your opportunity comes in simply sitting down and having a conversation with him. Dwell. He dwelled with her in that moment. And the disciples question her. They question him. And yet they don't do it out loud. They do it in their heart. Another conversation for another day. But if I would get to my point today, the woman then left her water pot. Another word for another day went her way into the city and said to the men, verse 29, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? We know how this story ends. An entire city goes to meet Jesus. An entire city goes to hear from him. An entire city, the city of Sychar, has been restored. Uh, they have the revelation of the gospel. They have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And the person who sparked that fire was a Samaritan woman. And notice, she did not come with an answer. Did you hear that? It was a Samaritan woman who came to Jesus and after she encountered Jesus, went and spoke. And when she came to other folks, she didn't come to folks with answers. As a matter of fact, she came to folks with a question. <laughs> she came back to the city and she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come see a man who told me about my mess. Come see a man who told me about all the stuff I've done wrong. Come see a man who's talked about my sins. Come see a man who, who, who knows everything about me in and out. Come see a man who put me out. Come see a man who, 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 who tell, who's told my story. Come see a man. Let me make sure you understand where I'm going, family. Where I'm going with this is, is that the woman's testimony was more powerful than the woman's information. And I came to declare to you today, that your testimony is what people need to hear. You don't need to have the answers, family. You don't need to come to the lost with answers. What you need to come to the lost with is your story. To talk about what Jesus revealed about your heart. To talk about what Jesus revealed about your life. To talk about what Jesus revealed about who you are. That, to talk about what, how Jesus came in the midst of your mess. People don't need answers. They need stories. People don't need answers. They need your heart. People don't need answers. They need to know what Jesus did in your life. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. I wonder whether or not we're okay really with sharing our testimony. No, we want to give tracts. We want to give flyers. We want to give pamphlets. We 
we want to throw all that stuff out. We want to give him a book. We want to give him, um, um, you know, rights. We want to give him all the rules and, and we want to give him all the knowledge. Give me the five points. Give me more information. And yet those aren't the things that this woman came with. She didn't come with a single answer. She came with questions. She came with a question that many would say is pretty unproductive for an evangelist. The person who's evangelizing Jesus Christ came with, is this the Christ? Did you catch that? The person who's coming to reveal Jesus is asking, is this the chosen one? Is this the anointed? Meaning, the power of her yes did not come in her understanding. It came in her story. There's some people right now who say, well, I know I have a story. I know, I know what Jesus has done. I, I, I know what Jesus has done in my life. I've seen him do it. But even though you know what Jesus has done, you're afraid to go to other people and to share what Jesus has done in your life because you feel like you need to have all the answers. You're afraid to go and to reach the lost because if you go and reach the lost, they might ask you questions that you don't have answers for. You're afraid. You're afraid to go out and to evangelize the gospel because you lack information. I mean, pastor's the one that knows all the information. He's the one that read the Bible 20 times and, and he's got degrees and, and he knows more than I know. I don't know what he knows. And so for many of us, we sit and we wait because we don't have all the answers. But if we look at the Samaritan woman, the most productive thing that this woman does is not come with the answer. She came with the question. Because what's going to bring people to Jesus is your story and your journey. Let me say that one more time. What's going to bring people to Jesus is your story and your journey. When you share your story, it invites people to go check this Jesus thing out. You see, you can't, people can't deny what Jesus has done in your life. People can question all the, the rules and they can question the doctrine. They can question the religion. They can question all that. But what they cannot question is what Jesus has done in your life. And when you share what Jesus has done in your life and how your life has been transformed, now you say, I don't have all the answers, but let's go get the answers together. <laughs> let's, let's journey together in this. Is this the Christ? I'm still working this out, but is this the Christ? I don't have it all figured out, but the whole city came along with her because they took her honesty. <laughs> Educated people aren't what gonna, what's going to bring people to Jesus. Educated folk isn't what's going to change people's hearts. Theologians, good for who they are, but aren't what's going to change people's hearts. It's the story and the journey. And that's why we do Alpha. That's why we do Alpha. We do Alpha because Alpha it doesn't ask you to have the answers. As a matter of fact, Alpha says just come with questions. That's all Alpha says to do. Come with questions and come with your story. You don't need to be afraid to say, I don't know if I'm going to have answers and I'm going to journey with people and I'm not going to know what to say or, or they might ask some questions and I'm going to look dumb. And I'm gonna, Guess what? We're all getting answers together.
When somebody has a question, you say, I don't have the answers. All I have is what Jesus has done in my life. But if you come with me, let's work through these answers together. And as they journey with you, they come to meet Jesus. And as they journey with Jesus, they get the answers along the way. Fam, you don't need to have the answers. Just come with the question. Is this the Christ? Come with your story and do that in Jesus' name. Father, I ask right now, as we engage today, Lord, just after this gathering, we're gonna get into a time where we're gonna pray for Alpha. And then after this, we're gonna journey in Alpha together. Father, I just pray right now for every person who's watching this right now, who hears the sound of my voice, for every person who, who, who knows that they're called to make disciples but don't know how. Father, I pray that you would give them the conviction today to know that they do not need to come with the answers. They just need to come with the question and their story. Father, I pray that you would give every person the boldness to be able to share their story, that you give every person the boldness to say, you know what, I don't have the answer, but the Spirit is leading me and come with me and watch me go on this journey with you. Father, bless each person right now. And for each person right now, I pray that you'd give them the heart to go find the one, to go back into the city and find that person, the person that they know that's lost, to say, I don't have the answers for you, but come and journey with me. I pray that they would journey with them through Alpha, that, Lord, that they would move by the power of the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit lead and guide, that they don't have to come with the answers, but, Lord, that they would be drawn to you. And I believe, Lord God, that in this season, and in this Alpha, that there's about to be an outpouring that people are going to revisit you and have an encounter with you. And I believe when we come out, we can declare together as one, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And I say that in Jesus' name. Amen.